Hello and welcome to the Downstream from Religion podcast. Here we take a look at the book of Judges and show how the book highlights the problems and solutions for our times. There's an audience tonight. Keep quiet. Shh. Feel free to email me with comments and questions to rabbi at rabbibailey.com or rabbibailey at gmail.com. B-A-I-L-E-Y. Most importantly, subscribe, tell your friends, write a review. I am Ian Paul Bailey. I am an ordained rabbi and a mental health therapist. This is Samson number two. We shall go through the rest of the story, understand it through the lens of proper uh, or at least unique book of judges analysis through my through my methodology and draw some more meaning for everyday life so as a point of review we understood samson's personality to have three components aspects archetypes so to speak that do relate to this um seven steps of kingship And they're meant to be a message to unite the Jewish people. Um, and they come into play in this story. So part of him um, comes from Judah. Part of it's from Dan, the tribe of Dan. So the Judah part is his mother and his father's mother. They, a sort of dynamic, aggressive, so to speak, dynamic, a strong, kingly people. His mother and his mother's mother come from Dan. That's more of adaptive, assertive type of people who can be very strong but he has the the commanding the kingly part of his personality that's the strength the assertiveness and him he along with jephthah and othniel son of kenaz i understand each have three each have one of the three components of kingship put them together you get king david but we don't have it in this book they, had, they did not have a spiritual revolution, only a revolution of a bunch of flash in the pans of assertiveness of spirituality. So Othniel, son of Kenaz, however you pronounce it, the first judge, he was actually from Judah on his father's side, so he could have been king. And he was extremely masculine and assertive, and he had land. So he is that part of kingship. Jephthah had the crown, so to speak. He was able to unite disparate components into a strong group, strong band of people. And Samson here will be the one who has strength and who goes out and actively stops attacks on the borders, stops autonomous zones. Message for, message for our times. At the, and also he battles the Philistines. So that's the guarding part. Okay, so we have the, 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 the kingship part. We have the part where he is social and interactive with people. That's the Joseph children part. So he also is able to socialize and um, be personally connective. So already he is showing the country that the Davidic line and the Joseph line need to come together for the nation. And on top of that, he's from Dan. So he has this guarding part of him. We keep talking about this guarding part. I call it guarding. It's Gevuda in Hebrew, which means strength. But strength is not just might, it is understanding boundaries, understanding safety. And on an unhealthy level, the Philistines, if you remember in the times of Shamgar, those uncircumcised Philistines, 
those evil people who are idolatrous and harm children and murder people and steal, they separated the Israelites, the children of Israel. They were not able to go on the highways. They had stay-at-home orders, lockdowns. Sound familiar? In order to divide and conquer. So Shamgar. We understood the Shamgar fellow, son of Anath, to take a cattle prod and to attack them to show y'all are acting like animals. I'll treat you like animals. Get away from here. We are humans. We work together. We are constructive. We are spiritual. Our God is transcendental God. Your God, Philistines, uncircumcised Philistines, is a God of Dagon, which is grain. It's wealth. It's it's obsession with greed and selfishness guarding really on in an unhealthy level is to be selfish narcissistic it's all about me my people my things and to be aggressive and i'm in my ivory tower i'm in my city with the walls to be healthy guarding is the paradigm of isaac to say i am selfless I i'm willing to totally sacrifice myself yes Isaac gathers wealth, but the gathering of wealth is meant to be to preserve your family. We're all supposed to earn money to preserve our families. That's a wonderful thing. Self-oriented, but at a certain point, you have to be selfless as well. So Samson, being from Dan, which is geographically right near the Philistines, he is able to understand their behavior and to fight against them. So let's go to the map and then go back to the Philistines. So if you remember, we take a pyramid and we turn it counterclockwise, 90 degrees. So the point of the pyramid is to the left. That point is the point of Israel facing Egypt, Mediterranean Sea. Kind of squish that pyramid so it's taller than it, than it is wide. Up and down, the right side of the pyramid is the Jordan River. The Philistines are over there by the point of Israel by the ocean. And the tribe of Dan is right nearby. Okay, so these Philistines came in a couple waves. They, what's the significance of them traveling in the water? I tried to understand if there was a symbolism with the water, but I believe because they're so self-oriented, they were willing to travel to go and conquer other lands and to be self-preserving. Being along the ocean is the ideal place for fishing, which they used to eat tons of fish and to eat. And even nowadays, of course, as with then, they need ports to travel and trade. Similar to up north, the Sidonites, the most un, um, unemphasized nation, commanding aggressive nation up north, had the successful maritime traders. So they also they also came over across the Mediterranean Sea. Some people say they were the Phoenicians, the early most early travelers. In any event, so the Philistines are over here by the point of Israel along the along the um, five, five large towns. They had five governors and they were near Egypt and they had um, conflict with Dan. Uh, geographically, they found bones and items from the Philistines. They did DNA analysis or bone analysis. And they actually discovered that there was tremendous intermarriage between the Jewish people and, and the Philistines almost to the point of the Jewish people disappearing over there. And it says that in the book of Judges here, there's intermarriage. So, you see, the Philistines are provocative. Look at Goliath. 
Look at the other way they talk. They're always prodding and provoking because unhealthy guarding is like a bully in the class. That bully, if he was he or she are, is harnessed, they're the guardian. They keep the key to the room. If you give them a custodianship in the classroom, as long as they're decently healthy individuals, they actually feel special and unique and they want to guard the key in the classroom and the tickets. But if you just let them to their own selfish devices and don't pay attention, they'll say, hey, 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 I'm going to take advantage. And they poke and they prod, and that is what the Philistines do. And that's why King David's slaying Goliath with a tiny little pebble, little rock, is a tremendous victory uh, because he's being strong, showing their weakness, the anti-guarding. And a tremendous strong person falls. That is the anti-guarding in I believe Samson is an epitomal judge because he goes and he stops these individuals from taking advantage, from living in Israel in an autonomous zone. Well, he doesn't actually stop that, but he fights against that. Okay, And that is also the mark of not just guarding, but kingship. You know, Even though kings, mostly in history, have been selfish and greedy, what they do is have a healthy paranoia about protecting the nation. You know, It's great to get a balance of the two, right? Representative Republic balance of representative republic and kingship you know imagine the united states or other you know european or even african countries in the land of israel where i lived for six years lots of free trade right lots of individualism and voting the problem is corruption we all say hey i'm just a laid-back person i go to work and come home but what happens is selfish people unhealthy guarding and commanding and pretty much all the personalities acting in an unhealthy way can take advantage of the system if there was someone going around rooting out that evil that would be ideal but it's hard to find that because once you have that then people take advantage and the spying and, and on and on the only real answer is the messiah with uh, underneath a uh, joseph type figure being the uh, facilitator of the, hum the humans and the, and, the, and the king rooting out the evil so samson here is someone who is uh, epitomal for going and uh, conquering, stopping the guarding folks. So we need, to, we need to understand further why he has a downfall, what are his accomplishments, why does he approach the story through the physical attack and through riddles and the like. So let's go through the text. I'm going to go through a lot of the next few chapters now and give you little uh, comments and show you the threads of those ideas that I just mentioned. And then, God willing, generate some meaning. Okay, so in the first chapter, we spoke about Samson's parents. So already we can see a weakness here because Samson's mother was much more capable than his father. She was much more dynamic and assertive. She was much more knowledgeable in religion. So imagine that, you know, someone grows up with a mother who's much more knowledgeable and a father who's more adaptive. So he doesn't learn that in healthy, proper relationships, the man is supposed to take initiative to have an opinion to lead the family, but then to be open and non-dictatorial enough to listen to his wife to accept influence. There's a cycle of sharing and giving influence, and the man has to take initiative. If a man doesn't take initiative, he's waiting for the woman to be in charge. The woman, actually women don't really enjoy just that responsibility and that power. You think, oh, we're women's live. No, it doesn't really work. I've had the most... You know, biggest feminist as as in a couple or an individual in my office for psychotherapy 
And they still want a man to uh, have an opinion, have an opinion, take initiative, do some leadership in the family. So I believe this is why Samson has a weakness for women. He's waiting for them to take initiative. And then once you're looking towards women, you know, our sages say that he was found amongst women. He, it's more familiar. I, had, I have a friend, new friend I met in Baltimore here, a very wise man, uh, first initial I. You know who you are. Thank you. He said that when he grew up in school, he became observant later in life. And he noticed that the boys, the young men whose mothers were much more outgoing, maybe too outgoing, that they ended up being very interested in dating women and being involved with women. It, it messes up the paradigm. Now, of course, a woman can own a business. A woman can be assertive. But if a woman is sort of overly interactive, if she's got about, or maybe not even that, maybe if she's, um, you know, teaching doesn't let her son make decisions she makes decisions for him you know all these things if they're in unbalanced they can add up that the son is looking for a woman to take advantage so you can have the strongest man in history one of the strongest men and samson have a weakness for women he's looking for women so chapter 14 samson went down to a place called timnath timnah he saw a woman from the daughters of the philistines saw already this Timnah place, Timnasa, he went to Timnah. Already this place is where Judah was. If you go back to the book of Genesis later on in the book, um, Joseph and Judah are contrasted. Joseph was went down to Egypt as a victim of attempted murder and sale. And Judah, because he was a leader and he didn't stop the sale, he is descending. He descends from his greatness to look bad in the eyes of the brothers and maybe society and he goes down and meets a woman that ends up being his daughter-in-law who he's supposed to marry and he marries her and he elevates the situation to be a holy situation of the uh, to be an ancestor of david to create the davidic dynasty he redeems it so it's interesting that samson comes down here to timnah gets involved with women so he sees a woman from the philistines and he wants her as a wife so what what's i mean what's what's going on here on the one hand it says here in the text his parents didn't know it's from God that he was going to have a pretext to fight the Philistines, which is good. But on the other hand, it's a bad thing that he's involved with the woman. So what's the uh, understanding here? So the understanding is he could have made this pretext without actually consorting with her and being physical with her. He just needed to sort of have an engagement or an arrangement for marriage, then to be messed over. Then he could attack the Philistines, but he should not have gotten so personal with her. God allowed the pretext, but he didn't want the closeness. Okay, uh, we continue. Fitting, it's, She's fitting in his eyes, and the parents didn't understand. Okay, so they were as they were walking along the way, a young lion was roaring toward him. The spirit of Hashem came over him. He tore apart the lion as one tears apart a kid, meaning a baby goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, he did not tell his father and mother about it. He went down and spoke to this woman. She was fitting in the eyes of Samson. So it's sort of an initial, it's sort of an initial strength to highlight the kingship side of him. Keep, keep track of that. The kingship side of him to prepare him to feel brave towards fighting the Philistines. He went down to the woman and she was fitting. He wanted to marry her. He turned aside and saw the fallen carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees was in the body of the lion. 
we're over here, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, etc. He scraped it in his hands and went walking and eating. He went to his father and mother. So we need to understand why is this important for his attack on the Philistines. Is this a, sort of a unnecessary note? The, the 24 books canonized in this uh, Tanakh, the Septuagint, and nothing is extra. His father went down to the woman, and Samson had a feast there. That's what they did in those days. Verse 11, it happened when the woman and her father saw him that they took 30 companions to be with him, and Samson gave them a riddle. Okay, well, so, okay, riddle. They couldn't figure out the riddle. They didn't like that. It led to a big conflict. Why is Samson using a riddle? What is this a, this is a, to answer, just to answer, this is a type of grenade of, of the mind because people who are guarding are very, so to speak, left-brained, linear, technical thinkers, okay? And to give a riddle is more of a right-brain abstraction, so to speak. Now, obviously, the right and left brains are not totally lateralized like that, but right and left brain thinking is just a more activity in that side of the brain, etc. But the pe people who think very linear fashion don't like abstract. That this is that's more from the third archetype, right? From creative, right? Creative is a abstract idea captured in a technical thing. So I think he's 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 messing with them to disorient them through the riddle. Okay. Okay, so he's attacking him with creativity. And then he puts forth the riddle. They're very upset. He goes and kills 30 idolaters. Wicked people gives their goods, changes of clothes to the people that were unhappy about the bet. His wrath flared. And he went up to his father's house and his companion was given to someone else. So we had a pretext, but chapter 15, he remembered his wife and the goat kid incident. He came and said he wished to go to the chamber to continue the marriage situation. The father said, I thought you hated her. I gave her to your companion. She has a younger sister. You want that? And Samson said to them, ah, this time I will be blameless against the Philistines, those uncircumcised Philistines. I will do evil to them. Samson went and caught 300 foxes. He took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put one torch behind each pair of tails. In the middle, he set fire to the torches and sent the foxes off to the grain fields of the Philistines. Thus, he burnt down everything from grain stacks to standing grain and olive groves. Okay, so our sages say that just as a fox recoils backwards, when he is scared, so the Philistines went back on their deal, going back. That is the metaphor that Samson is trying to tell them. Related to that, overlapping, is that foxes are like snakes. They are, I would consider them a guarding type of animal. They're very sly and sneaky. They grab for themselves. They grab their own stuff. And on top of that, fire is Gabriel. That's guarding, burning, destroying. And destroying their grain is going to the heart of them and their god. Their god is Dagon, which means grain. So they're, it's, it's a personal attack on them occupying the land against God's wishes. They're selfish grain hoarders. And using fire, which is guarding Gabriel's strength, 
Gevura, which means guarding, is the same as Gabriel. Gavriel, that is strength. Strength is not only mighty power. It's also self-control and also total destruction, deletion. Okay, addition by subtraction. The Philistines said, who did this? People answered, Samson, because his wife was given to his companion. The Philistines went and burned her and her father's in fire. Her and her father in fire. That's another guarding behavior from guarding people. You see the theme here? Samson said to them, if only you had done so before, now I will avenge myself against you, and afterward I will stop. And Samson struck them calf upon thigh, a great blow, smacking their legs in a little circle. Then he descended and dwelt and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. We're up to verse 9. The Philistines went up. They were about to do war and camped against Judah. Again, Judah is supposed to be the mightiest tribe. They are the commanding, the kingly people. If you remember, the first act in this book was that Judah was confident, went up to Israel, got rid of the head of the head of all the powerful nations. So the boss of bosses, if you will. And now... The mighty have fallen because the men of Judah said, Why have you come up? Speaking to the Philistines, they responded, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he did to us. 3,000 men of Judah, which is sort of like a large phalanx, went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam, and they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? This is what you have done to us. Now pause here. Dear reader, because of people not taking care of spiritual business, the mightiest tribe of Israel is saying, don't you know other people are in charge? You know, when people get that spiritual and political alignment in order, then great people can lead us. This, this is one of the problems we have in our society. I mean, we have strong people. We have the ability. But they need to team together with the spiritual aspects, getting understanding a proper political leadership and order, demand demanding healthy political leaders. You know, it's it's very unfortunate that things have gone gotten to be so bad. You know, people making a false paradigm, so you get in trouble. You know, it's like the whole. I don't want to be too specific, but you know, a lot of liberties have been taken with our liberties. So if someone says. Oh, these are the rules, but those rules are ridiculous. And you don't keep them. Oh, you're not keeping the rules. What? Yeah. Someone says, yes, I follow the rules. But they didn't quite. But those are tyrannical rules. Did they really break them? So here, they're going to arrest Samson. Even though Samson is doing tremendous godly work. Oh, because Samson has brought such problems upon us. This is the tragedy. And this is part of why we need to break out of the false paradigms we have. It's really a, a war of reality. People are plugged into this matrix of falsehood. They can't see the truth. It's not only going to do violence and throwing out the bad leaders. You, you, people live in different realities, not being objective. So Judah believes that they need to be weak. They cannot be the strong Judas of decades before. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Okay, they've come to arrest him. Samson said, swear to me. 
that you yourselves will not harm me. They said, fine. They bind him up. Then they bring him down. But he rips open the ropes like they were nothing. And he found the jawbone of a fresh donkey. Because he was involved in non-kosher behavior, he has a non-kosher savior. Non-kosher behavior, non-kosher savior. A donkey jaw. A, a donkey jaw. He stretched out his hand and took it and struck down a thousand people with it. So he says, what is verse 16, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps of men have I struck down. That's what's unspoken there. With the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he cast the jawbone from his hand, and they called it Ramath Lehi, the jawbone hill. Jawbone hill. And then he becomes thirsty and almost dies. And God gives him water. Okay, so what's this exchange here? So initially, this is similar to the Shamgar, our second judge. He has here the, the jawbone of a donkey instead of a cattle prod. And the symbolism is that while Shamgar was saying, I have a cattle prod, y'all act like animals, I'll treat you like animals. Here... Samson has the jawbone. <clears throat> if you think about it, the jawbone is actually the guarding, so to speak, part of a person. Okay, so take the analogy of a rose bush. A rose bush, rose bush grows. You trim it in order to keep it alive. As a paradox, it doesn't have enough water and nutrients to live, so you have to trim it to help it survive. If you just shove food down your gullet, down your throat, it's not good for you. You chew it up in your mouth, and that that the entity of a food piece gets taken apart and put it in your body. And your body is the most complex separating machine in the universe. It's incredibly full of wisdom from God. In fact, my rabbi, Rabbi Isaac Berkowitz, who gave me ordination, he said that we Jewish people make a blessing after going to the bathroom, even though we make a blessing on the food that we eat. You know, why don't we make a blessing on digestion? Why is it about something kind of base? Well, it's not base. It's because it says in the blessing that if it wasn't for God maintaining our bodies, one little hole, one little cavity, uh, one hole opening up, a cavity bursting, could lead for, to us to die, God forbid. So our bodies are incredibly complex separating machines, and, and, and our body has boundaries and openings guarding parts and open parts like that first attribute that is um, full of wisdom that we should bless so here he's saying to them i'll eat you up that's like that phrase i'll eat you alive like i'll beat you up so listen if we have god behind us we will eat up the philistines even that's the the, the jawbone of a donkey here's a here's a smashing part of a donkey that we can even beat these Philistines if we have the right approach. However, he said, with the jawbone of a donkey, a thousand, I killed heaps upon heaps of people. So I saw it in the uh, work of Josephus, but <laughs> Josephus was a Jewish historian who lives in times of the Romans, right? So he wasn't always writing accurate things, probably wasn't observant. But I thought of this idea also. I'm sure other people say it. When someone says a statement about themselves, sometimes it means a fact. But a lot of times in the Jewish scripture, in Hebrew, it's something arrogant. So he became arrogant and said, oh, I killed these people. He has to remember it's God's power, not him. And therefore, 
God said, well, you, oh, you made this miracle? You are about to um, be dehydrated to death. And he said, oh, no, please, God, help me. Then he realized it's God that helps us. And he drank, he, he was given water, and his life um, was saved alive. Boom. He was saved, and he stayed alive. So he needed to be humble as well. In fact, there's an interesting Jewish tradition that the evil prophet Bilam, who tried to curse the Jewish people in the book of Numbers, was lame in one leg, okay? He had one leg that didn't work. And Samson, Shimshon, was actually lame in two legs. He was disabled. Can you imagine? We picture this huge, muscular, Hercules wrestler fellow. Actually, he was a middle-aged man with a cane. <laughs> he could barely walk. And the miracle is that God gave him strength. Okay, It's like the message with Gideon, right? It, it can't be that we believe in physical strength only. We have to do striving. He shtadlut in Hebrew. We obviously can't sit at home and say, God will provide income. God will provide money and health and medicine. We have to go try to get it. And God provides with our striving, so to speak, our, our work, our attempts. So Samson is another message that it's not about the muscles. It's about him making an effort and God bringing um, salvation. However, he probably would have had more than four or five outbursts in history if it wasn't for his weakness for women and misconduct in that area. Chapter 16. I mean, right away, verse 1. He went to a harlot and cons consorted with her. So all he had to do was hang out in the inn. You know, the, these harlots were at the inn or maybe an inn without harlots. And he went there so people would know he was there. That's his weakness, and he did it again, unfortunately. And they waited for him, but he snuck out, and he took uh, he took these huge, gigantic gates, and the crossbars and the doorposts, carried them up, and placed them on the mountain across from Hebron. Hebron, Hebron. So it's another feat of strength that God wanted. And think about it. A city is fully guarded in those days. It has walls around the city, and then the special strong doorways to protect the city. So by opening up the doorway... He left it vulnerable to attack. That's also a kingly move because the king looks for the Ervas Haaretz. Spies and kings look for the weak point of the land in order to attack. So it's another attack in the theme of what we're talking about, leaving these mighty, mocking Philistines vulnerable. So why across from Hebron? So either he, he just... So if you look on a map, basically... The Philistines area is over there in the west, on the left side, by the top of the pyramid. Across, all along the coast there for about a, a quarter of the coast, the Mediterranean Sea. And on the same latitude, horizontally over, is Hebron, on the other side of Israel, in the tribe of Judah. So either he went up on a basic hill and faced it to Hebron, or there's a tradition that he carried them all night long over near Hebron and put the... A mountain across from it and the significance is is that that is a Judah type of territory and especially on top of that not especially but literally especially on top of that Hebron is a place that Caleb conquered so it is definitely one of the main kingly places so 
Samson is reminding the Philistines and the Jewish people this is about Jewish kingship. Stop forgetting that. Stop getting involved in your hurly-burly and a, a mentality of fear and awfulness. Okay, Delilah. So it's very clear from Hebrew at first glance that Shimshon sounds like it relates to the sun and Delilah, Delilah relates to nighttime. Those are very contrasted there. So as the Philistines are about nighttime, darkness, spirit of impurity, that Shimshon was meant to bring constructive um, growth to the world. Positivity, happiness, commandments, God. At the same time, long story short, there's a lot of sources I looked up, but Shimshon, you know, the sun kind of nurtures the world and protects the world. So long story short, through tradition, Samson is someone who is a provider and a protector. Okay? And Delilah relates also to Dildala, which means to dangle or to sap strength. Okay? So Samson is beautifully um, commanding, connective, and guarding. So he's doing what a king does and what's, what they needed from Samson to be a provider and a protector which is what we need in our society. People are great earners, but we don't worry about the safety through corruption. We need to weed out corruption. Another interesting connection between Delilah and demons, idolatry, is that there is this woman in Jewish tradition, in the what do you call midrash, midrashic literature, the homiletic expoundations, the oral tradition, I believe it's in the Christian and other traditions. There's a woman named Lilith found in different contexts that, for example, Adam was married to this woman named Lilith before Eve. He sort of divorces her, drives her out with the demons, and marries Eve. So I understand this to be not a literal story necessarily, but a very unique concept that for each man there is a certain type or small range of types of women that are good for him, healthy match. But there is a certain epitomal, unhealthy, indulgent woman that a man can have in their mind, and that's reflected in the inappropriate content if they ever see that god forbid or the fantasy now often there's an overlap between him him and the wife but the wife has a healthy balanced approach reciprocal with his personality he needs to respect her and approach her properly for all the different levels of connection including emotional but the lilith character that a man has in his mind is completely indulgent it's selfish there's no give and take there there's no um, slowly entering the relationship temple, so to speak, by doing the rituals of love and care. So Lilith is the epitome of indulgence. Um, Delilah has a very similar name. Lilith means sort of the night one, and Delilah means of the night, with the de being more of an Aramaic construct. Furthermore, on the topic of intimacy. In this podcast, I talk about this uncircumcised Philistines. So it says that in the Hebrew, and preachers and pastors are talking about that. You know, what's the big deal if someone's not uncircumcised? Okay. So obviously, in our day and age, a lot of people are not, but 
you know, <laughs> number one, that's a covenant. Just doing that action is a covenant. That's part, that's part of the handshake deal. Handshake taken a lot farther, obviously. Deal with God. Manifestation of that covenant between the Jewish people and God and our faith. And also, there, there is such a thing as curbing one's physical pleasure in order to delve into the spiritual. A person has quite enough physical pleasure, they curb it through getting rid of that foreskin. So the Philistines, instead of being a nation that is completely full of self-control and appropriateness and guarding, and instead of you know assisting the Jewish people by being um, top-notch advisors and creating barrier, barriers around Israel... They flip it, flip it to be unhealthy guarding, so to speak. And part of that is to maximize pleasure. So I see many, many parallels. This is a topic for another time, but there are many, many parallels between the behavior of the Philistines and the unhealthy components of the Arab and Muslim world. Uh, topic for another time. I lived in the Middle East for six years. The unhealthy components there is... is Flipping that Gavura script so that they are uncircumcised because they want to indulge in the pleasure. They don't want to minimize that. And uh, circling back to Lilith and Delilah, Samson. So Samson is someone who's supposed to shed light on the matter. Everything is clear and in the open. Shemesh is the sun. Or Shemshon is, means to serve. He serves and protects. Relating to police and monarchy. And De Lila, she's of Lilith. So, for example, in the Jewish Talmud, it says a man needs to be careful not to be home alone because Lilith will visit him. So, in a metaphorical, you know, in, a, in a literal sense, oh, demon comes. No, in a metaphorical sense, a man has to be careful that he's, if he's alone without his wife and he's not busy and he doesn't exhaust himself, he might have energy to do something inappropriate by himself, to himself, pornographically, etc., you get the idea. That's the manifestation of my thesis about Lilith. Uh, she, she quote-unquote, approaches a man at these vulnerable times. It means those are times that are ripe for lust. So, yeah. But uh, Delilah, Dildala, through her manipulating him, she knew he was weak. She acted like she loved him, but she always had this other agenda, the selfishness. Unhealthy guarding. So she did a lot of whining and we call it kvetching in Yiddish, you know, complaining, manipulation. She was almost like uh, acted abused or manipulative, manipulative person, maybe even borderline type of behavior, borderline personality disorder, but at least this manipulative person who finally got it out of him what his strength is. And even though, you know, she cuts his hair and that gets rid of his strength. It's not really about the hair being magically strong. You know, he loses his strength because it. his hair reminds him, as we said in the last podcast, to stay humble even though he's handsome and powerful as a kingly person. Grow your hair and cut it off to God is the goal. So it's not just like it's like an old magical amulet taken off of him. No, his hair being removed, he didn't remove it himself to get that humility of removing it. And it's his responsibility, even though she cut it, it is his responsibility because he told her about it. All right. So he, he shared his weakness with her, and she is able to manipulate him through guarding and through sapping his connective side. Because connective and guarding are 
opposites. Just like Joseph is connective, he has a weakness with Simon and Levi being wanting to protect his people. Those are opposite type of things. Okay, the Philistines. Okay, capture him. They gouge out his eyes because he went after his eyes and his heart. His eyes were pulled out, right? And you should not go after your heart. Your Do not go after your heart and after your eyes. That is licentiousness and idolatry. So his eyes were gouged out. They made him grind wheat. But his hair began to sprout. And I believe because they were so arrogant and selfish, they didn't see him. His hair grow, even though he's dancing in front of them, making merry. He asked God for one more blessing to conquer the Philistines. He only asked for the merit of one eye. Even though two eyes were taken out, he's humble. He says, just a little bit of merit, God, to help me to destroy the Philistines. And in this story, these Philistines are on this kind of multi-layered structure. It's sort of a party house and a coliseum a little bit. Anyways, it's a kind of a party house. They're on a roof, but there's multi-layers. And he asked God for one more burst of strength. And God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, gives it to him. He leans on the pillars, pushes them, and then more people died that day than all the other days, which is a big blessing. His family takes his body and buries it properly um, in the plot of his father, Manoach. Manoach means to make easy. He's, he's, uh, he was taught by his father that things should be easy. We have to adapt. But women are strong. He didn't fix that part of him, so he had a downfall, but he still had a great heart to heaven. He judged Israel for 20 years. Before it says he judged Israel for for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So either it's the same 20 years, or after, it was 20 years, and after he died... The Philistines were so afraid of the Jews, of Samson. The Philistines were afraid of Samson, so they were nice to the Jews. Or perhaps it was 40 years, and 20 years he judged in the times of the Philistines, and 20 years with the Philistines bothering them and harassing them. Either way, his legacy is extremely important. His personality is the one that shows us we can all unite the disparate parts of our society. His behavior is one that we need to remember to go and to root out evil. We must be active with rooting out evil, but not taking away personal liberties. It's a hard, it's a fine line, it's hard, but I believe transparency can get rid of that, and transparency can get rid of the crony capitalism that ruins capitalism. But on top of that, what the Philistines bring is actually the main plague in the world at this time. The main issue, as I sit here on 11 is not a plague of germs. It's a plague of fear. People have put, used the media and social pressure and literal brainwashing, or you can call it programming. I'm going to call it brainwashing because it is, to create a false reality where people need to be afraid. And there has been some amazing synchronicity recently. I, I'm not saying synchronicity is a magical you know, energy aside from God. That's idolatry. But I believe in terms of sociology, cause and effect, sharing of information. I've never heard so many people come to the same conclusion. I know a meditational kind of person who's constructive but doesn't believe in monotheistic God talk about the main issue is fear. They sent me a video about that. Don't be afraid. That's what leads to problems. And then a Jewish-Israeli observant person, friend of mine, I thought of this, Christian, Christian people that I know, and even people from regular world research that have... Uh, 
exposed certain documents from FOIA requests, exposed journalists, even people from news stations, let's just say from all over the spectrum, have admitted that a lot of what's going on is not actual danger. It's fear. And that comes from Philistines. Unhealthy unhealthy gavura. Unhealthy guarding is fear. Because think about it. Healthy guarding, the second level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And again, if you look in <laughs> Exodus, it's the second level of Moses' hierarchy of needs. When you get to chapter 21, it's a more religious... Uh, version of uh, Maslow with a whole bunch of laws, making a whole spectrum of laws where the first level is survival, the sustaining part we mentioned with Ehud, and the second level is types of damagers, safety, that level number two. The Philistines are masters of being selfish and having their own walls around themselves. Mm -hmm. Certain capitals are like that, aren't they? Certain uh, Vatican's are like that, aren't they? People have walls and money, and they want to make other people afraid. As with the Tower of Babel, one interpretation. See the Seven Ways podcast, the Jewish version, season two, podcast episode two. I talk about the Tower of Babel, I translate there. Made for people to survey others, survey all them. The key is to remain steady and not to be afraid. Vent your feelings. Don't always watch the news. Only know what you need to know. Engage in those things that make you happy, that are you, your personality. If it's a sport, if it's a reading, if it's a show even that's kosher, do things. Decor, the decor in your room. This is what I do. I have moved many times. I remain loyal to the things I've always loved in my life, that my office, my home. Remain steady. Breathe. Use your faith in God to take away the fear. That is what Samson wants you to know. And I believe that Samson could have been even more effective if he took his connective, intimate side away and he was in the company of men, healthy group of men, I believe he would have been able to conquer. And let me tell you something. There are many Samsons today in our society. They're the outspoken talk show hosts, the outspoken people who engage in investigative journalism. We thought they were annoying. It turns out, the ones that are really showing us actual documents, they were right. It was hard to hear it two, three, five years ago, but they're spot on. And the, the answer is not to be afraid to gather together with men and women as part of the fight, whether you're on the front lines, behind the lines, supporting, making a healthy family. That is the message, and it's, there's no reason to be afraid. Try to expunge it from your system, even if it takes some talking, some therapy, whatever it is. There are... Samson's out there in the talk show market and politicians, healthy individuals. But we actually can build upon Samson's mistake and we move away from vice and inappropriateness, if you know what I mean, and move towards banding together healthy men, healthy assertiveness. We actually have done that. There are many more people who are on to the schemes in the world who are getting together to fight it in many constructive ways. And speaking of fathers in the home, that will lead us into our next podcast. This It's called Pesel Micha in Hebrew. This forbidden idol that this boy, Micah, Micha in Hebrew, Michayahu is his whole name, 
Mikad Jehu ends up building. A, fa a father is not here. It is a son and a mother. And I was raised as a single with a single mother. And yes, I saw my father every other weekend and on Monday. A couple weeks in the summer. But even yeah, you know, I'm saying even though I'll start again, even though many people succeed as single mothers, we must talk about what happens when there's a home without a father figure and the mother and the son become susceptible to the pitfalls there. Chapter 17. Thank you for listening to the Downstream from Religion podcast. Feel free to email me with comments or questions. Rabbi at RabbiBailey.com B-A-I-L-E-Y or RabbiBailey at gmail.com Please subscribe, tell your friends, and have a wonderful day from your podcast rabbi and therapist and just trying to be a good human. Try to be a good human. I know you're doing it. Get rid of those self-critics and focus on the positive. And have an awesome day. May God bless you and keep you.